School days. When people think of their school days, their thoughts may be filled with a nostalgic glow, perhaps memories of childhood friends, good times, or if one was lucky, a teacher who made a difference. Others may not want to bother thinking about their school days at all. Their memories may be of being ostracized, bullied, or just being confused by the strangeness of it all. And others, perhaps those few who attended first and second grade at St. Joseph Catholic School in downtown Appleton, Wisconsin in, oh, let's say, 1967, they may think of their school days as that one day they went out to play during recess and happened to find a wrapped paper bundle laying on the ground, which they picked up and tossed around. And in the act of doing so, the bundle opened, revealing the severed pieces of a human foot. Welcome to Wisconsinology Podcast. My name is Frank Anderson. With all my friends back in my hometown, Milwaukee. I'll turn this damn bus around. That'll end your precious heel trip. That's the sailor's way. Came all the way from Wisconsin to tell me this. That was wicked, man. St. Joseph Catholic Church in Appleton is in many ways a historic and hallowed ground. It was home base for America's foremost exorcist, Father Theophilus Riesinger, who I have talked about on this podcast. And it was where America's soon-to-be first male Catholic saint, Father Solanus Casey, a native of Wisconsin, performed his first service. On a Monday morning in late September 1967, four first and second graders, students at St. Joseph's School, found a sack on the ground. It contained several parts of a human foot. A toe was the first item that dribbled from the bundle. The police nearby were quickly on the scene and a thorough search of the grounds revealed more bundles. One neatly wrapped package found on a windowsill contained a human liver. The search widened. More body parts were found. They seemed to be everywhere. Some were wrapped in black and white newspaper, some in brown paper, some in the Sunday comics of the New York Daily Post. The following day, five more packages containing human body fragments were found. These bundles seemed to be everywhere. In the bushes of an abandoned house, a bundle neatly wrapped in brown paper revealed an arm, or maybe a leg. Inside the same house, more bundles. They contained ribs and wrapped body tissue. Bones and fragments, tiny fragments, were recovered at the city dump. These various body parts, now turning up inside a six-block line directly north of St. Joseph's School, were being sent to the crime lab in Madison. 
Thanks to fingerprints derived from severed fingers that made a complete hand, the police were able to ID the victim. His name was George Schmidt. He was 82 years old and an Appleton resident. He lived on a house on Division Street, four blocks north of St. Joseph's School with his wife, Marie. The police, armed with a search warrant, arrived at the two-story Schmidt house. The couple lived in the lower level. The upstairs was a rental. As they entered the house, the first thing the policeman noticed was a strong odor of decay. They looked around. The house was in considerable disarray. After searching the main level, they descended the basement stairs. There, seated in a chair, in complete darkness, staring at a coiled rope stretched around an overhead beam, was Marie Schmidt. She was taken to St. Elizabeth's Hospital and a 24-hour guard was placed in front of her room. The police conducted a brief interview. When asked where her husband was, Marie replied, I think he went to Milwaukee to visit relatives. George and Marie Schmidt were born in another century. George was a retired contractor. He and Marie were married in 1937. This was her second marriage. She had had a child in a previous marriage. A photo of George taken from the house and used by newspapers shows a thin, dapper man in a Panama hat cuddling a small dog in his arms. The neighbors had a lot to say about the couple. It was remarked that they were quiet and they kept to themselves. In the previous 10 years, the couple, who once were more active and social, had become withdrawn. Recently, neighbors noticed Marie Schmidt making frequent daily trips to and from the house, carrying something in her wood-handled floral print shopping bag. Said one neighbor, she sure was making a lot of trips to the grocery store. We wondered what she was doing with all that shopping. They all agreed she had been spending a lot of time in her garden. Police digging in the grounds beneath the tomato plants in Marie's garden found more body parts. Drive-by gawkers and curious pedestrians began to appear. People are attracted to the weird. They're attracted to disaster. They're attracted to accidents. They're attracted to death. Many drove from far away to take in the site. At this point, said coroner Bernard Kemp's, we have 75% of a body. It had been three days since the severed pieces of the foot were found in the schoolyard. Still missing was a head and a torso. While walking to the police station from the Schmidt house, inspector John V. Gosh found the head. It was bundled in cloth with an outer wrapping of newspaper, and it lay on the ground near a Quonset hut in the northwest corner of the Appleton Post Crescent parking lot. The head was described as unrecognizable and much abused. Within a week of the initial discoveries, Outagamy County Coroner Bernard Kemp's was able to declare that all the body parts of George Schmidt were accounted for. All the separate pieces, ears, toes, fingers, arms, legs, liver, head, 
bones, organs, and torso that made up the body of George Schmidt were cremated in Sheboygan. The death certificate of George Schmidt states that he was found dead on September 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th, 1967. Cause of death undetermined. The question now was, how did George Schmidt die? Neighbors reported that before his disappearance, he appeared to be very ill. The couple renting the upstairs unit at the Schmidt home reported hearing a distinct sound from the apartment below. It sounded like someone had slipped and fallen, they said. The police were not strangers to the house at 319 North Division Street. Two weeks prior to body parts turning up on the streets of Appleton, Marie Schmidt had called the police. In a midnight call, she told them that George was tearing the house apart and that he was drunk and tipping over chairs. When the police arrived, Mrs. Schmidt said to them she wanted her husband committed. To the two sergeants present at the house, it appeared that George Schmidt was incapable of taking care of himself. The detectives were in the act of beginning the procedures on Mrs. Schmidt's behalf to have her husband committed when she suddenly changed her mind. Marie Schmidt left St. Elizabeth and was admitted to the Winnebago State Mental Hospital. Later, she was transferred to the Outagamie County Hospital. By 1969, her mental health had somewhat improved and officials were considering moving her to an old age home. That year, an anonymous call to the Appleton Post Crescent reported her sudden death, a heart attack. Marie was 81. It was Valentine's Day. Marie was buried in Highland Park Cemetery in Appleton. She could not or would not ever reveal how her husband died. No one will ever know. The summer after Marie Schmidt died, the home at 319 North Division Street, now empty, was broken into, burglarized, and completely vandalized. The house was literally demolished. Drinks had been thrown against the walls. All the windows were broken. Locks from both the front and rear doors had been removed. Appliances were stolen, furniture was stolen, a gas heater and a furnace was stolen. A neighbor told police, that a man unknown to him approached him and told him to help himself to the contents of the house. Later, a truck was seen at the home and men were seen taking furniture from the residence. The Schmidt house and others around it were raised in that summer of 1969 to make way for a new post office. It goes to show that anything can happen anywhere these days, said one of the Schmidt's neighbors. The coroner in this case, Bernard Kemps, had the final word on the entire affair. And I quote, that one still sticks with me. For Wisconsinology Podcast and Wisconsinology.com, my name is Frank Anderson. This episode has been brought to you by Wisconsin Monsters, Myths, and Legends, a highly detailed poster packed with the creatures, actual events, sightings, and mythology that makes our state so great and so strange. Go to wisconsinology.com.
click on the poster icon in the upper right hand corner, check it out for yourself. Over 100 hand-painted illustrations are contained in this truly beautiful and endlessly informative poster. Wisconsin Monsters, Myths, and Legends at wisconsinology.com or etsy.com slash wisconsinology. I shall return. I kill him in Sheboygan. With all my friends back in my hometown, Milwaukee. Wisconsin. To call them Democrats is an insult. That's the sailor's way. I'll turn this damn bus around. That'll end your brilliant little heel trip. Oh, wicked man. Came all the way from Wisconsin to tell me this?